0: Radio. That's audibletrial.com slash LifeCoachRadio. And now, here's today's show. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining me. We have a really interesting show planned for today, and I hope that it gets you thinking and um, maybe challenges some of your thoughts and opinions, and I hope we can have some dialogue about it during and after the show. My name is Nikki Tobias. I'm a life and executive coach, uh, business consultant with Grounded Vision Coaching. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Grounded Vision, um, also on Twitter at Grounded Vision, uh, on the web at groundedvisioncoaching.com, or by emailing me at Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, at com. I wanted to let you know a while that you're welcome to call in and chat with me today. Uh, The phone number for you to call in is 646-716-9397. Again, 646-716-9397. So I listed this show as being about vulnerability and intimacy, and it will be about both. But I'll say that It started by um, me really thinking about vulnerability and and doing a lot of reading by Brene Brown, who um, had already been doing incredible research uh, through her um, social work degree field around um, vulnerability and wholehearted living, and she's written books. Um, the Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, and Rising Strong, all are excellent reads. If you haven't checked them out, they're well well worth it. And I really just love Brene Brown. She's really, really down to earth, and I love her TED Talks. I love the way that she writes. I've listened to several of the books in audio after reading them, um, and I love the way that she reads them. And so I would encourage you to check those things out. And so that really had me thinking a lot about vulnerability. But then this other thought kept coming to the surface for me around wanting to be in really vulnerable relationships, but also this piece around intimacy and how I started wrestling with the the thoughts and the wonder You know, could you be in friendships, in close relationships with people um, that were vulnerable relationships without the intimacy, or could you have the intimacy without being vulnerable? How are they related? How are they different? And then you add in all sorts of other things like Brene's wholehearted living, um, things around empathy, things around boundaries and trust and honesty, and it gets pretty complicated. It gets pretty complicated when you think about the different relationships you have and and what the qualities and characteristics of those relationships are. I'm very much a learner, and so I wanted to dig a bit deeper. And so I was out looking at some other books, have read a few books in preparation for this radio show, and even was talking with my counselor about it. And she made a really interesting uh, point or suggestion that I hadn't considered around how people can share really intimate information about themselves to perfect strangers. So her examples were um, potentially on an airplane or in the waiting room of a doctor's office. And I thought that was so interesting. Isn't that true? When people are nervous, fearful, or they believe that they won't see or talk to those people that are around them any longer, they, they, might have a tendency to share some things about their lives or themselves that they wouldn't share uh, with people that they knew better. And, and that was just an interesting other layer for me um, and changed my paradigm, my perspective about what it meant to have intimate sharing. And then another friend of mine who happens to be a counselor and, and works in a jail setting When I was talking with her about this idea, she went to the idea of oversharing and people who tend to really share intimate details of their lives because they lack boundaries and they overshare um, out of insecurity or maybe an attempt to get attention or um, for any number of other reasons that, that I can't describe here, so boy, that was another level uh, altogether. And so while I had started out thinking I was going to do a show about vulnerability and even wholehearted living, what this show is going to encompass a whole lot more of today is around intimacy. And the fact that as a culture, I think many of us hear intimacy and we think about sex and physical intimacy. And I was really arguing that There are lots more types of intimacy than that, and it led me to a book called The Seven Levels of Intimacy, The Art of Loving, and The Joy of Being Loved by Matthew Kelly. It's a phenomenal book. It's a phenomenal book, and I read it in preparation for this show and took a ton of notes, which I'm going to share with you today, and it's definitely a book that I'm going to read again, It's a book that you could read over and over again and get different things from, which I always love, the depth of that. And the depth and complexity of what it means to be a human being interacting with and in relationship with other human beings who are also (laughs) complicated and intricate and complex. And so um, I hope you'll join me and listen for the show today about intimacy. And then I'd love to hear from you, um, either in the comments, on blog talk radio um, by emailing me um, finding me on facebook and leaving some comments let's really turn this into a conversation because what i'm thinking is that it might make sense to continue this to have this show as a multi-part series that starts with this piece around intimacy but also talks about some of those other um, things that i just mentioned some of the the other parts of being human, like being vulnerable, having this wholehearted living approach that Brene Brown talks about, talking about honesty and trust and friendships and family dynamics and all sorts of other things um, that can be really wrapped up in this conversation. So come along with me and, and provide your feedback so I know where to go from here. So when you get into this, The Seven Levels of Intimacy by Matthew Kelly, he really defines intimacy very, very early in the book um, and really just describes it as revealing yourself. He says, every day in a thousand ways we reveal ourselves to the people around us and to the world. Everything we say and do reveals something about who we are. Even the things we don't say and the things we don't do tell others something about us. Life is about sharing ourselves with humanity at this moment in history. And then he goes on to say, we yearn for intimacy, but we avoid it. We want it badly, but we run for it, from it. At some deep level, we sense that we have a profound need for intimacy, but we're also afraid to go there. Boy, that was spot on. As far as I was concerned, I think we all want to be loved. We all want to be nurtured. We want to be loving. We want to be nurturing. We want to be able to be our true, authentic, genuine selves in relationships. But that is a scary thing to pursue. And it's sort of like that game chicken, right, when you hear about this game chicken, that, that both people in the relationship are often waiting for the other person to be vulnerable or intimate first and to test out those waters and so it's hard to be the person who does that first and to fear that rejection to fear um, how that person is going to react to that sharing Um, so I get it I really get it but that fear doesn't change our need and our wish and our desire and our want to have vulnerable authentic genuine intimate relationships So he talks in the book then about different types, different ways that we show up in the world, and even different types of intimacy. So he talks about physical intimacy, um, and that that can involve anything from a smile, smiling at a stranger at the grocery store, to a handshake, maybe a hug, even kissing, and then obviously sex and and uh, more in depth physical relationships. He also talked about emotional intimacy and how that requires humility and vulnerability, that it's typically a slower building process than physical intimacy. It certainly takes longer if a person has been hurt or betrayed. That sting is still ever present in our lives when we've been hurt or betrayed in trying to share emotional intimacy with someone. And he includes emotional intimacy as sharing your opinions, feelings, fears, and dreams. He continues to talk about intellectual intimacy. I thought it was really interesting. Established through conversation, maybe your philosophy of life. It includes your experiences, your culture, political events, knowing how someone thinks, what drives or inspires or motivates them to do what they do, their ideas and their opinions intellectual intimacy and then he talks about the fourth and final type of intimacy as spiritual intimacy he contends that it's the rarest and most elusive it's the hardest type of intimacy to achieve it's about respecting one another helping each other become the best version of themselves and that if you are truly spiritually intimate with someone you would never harm that person you would never wish harm for them you would never harm them yourself and that you're always working to help one another be your best versions of yourself Well, that's a lot to think about i think you could probably do a show a conversation a workshop a dialogue on that alone but there's so much more in this book i feel compelled to share with you so we're going to keep going he gets into the conversation about relationships and contends that they're either growing or dying, that there's no such thing as stagnant. Your relationship is either growing or it's dying. Hmm. And for me, I really think about the energy around that, right? Are you putting in your energy, your time, your attention to that relationship? Is the other person committing to entering their time, their energy, their attention to that relationship. I wonder if it would be worth it for you, for any of the listeners, for me even, to make a list of all the relationships in our lives that are important to us. Who are those people that we would say the relationship with them is important to us and then note which of those relationships aren't working which of those relationships would you want to improve which of those relationships are very very good and they're growing are you in relationships that maybe aren't worth saving hmm Are there relationships that you're putting your time, energy, and attention into that are dying, that aren't worth saving, that aren't helping you live your best life, become your best self? And when you think about these relationships in your life, who do you call? Who do you call when something great happens? Who do you call when tragedy strikes? Who do you call when you need to be encouraged? Who do you call when you need to be challenged? Who energizes you? Why? What about them is energetic and motivating and encouraging to you? How do you show up in those same relationships? Do you energize others? Do you only bring strife to the relationship? Are you contributing to that relationship's growth or demise? I will say this book talks very little about love, which is interesting. Um, It's a choice that the author made, and it's interesting because love is also complicated, right? And I can imagine that the author was really thinking about not confusing intimacy and love, not complicating it, not giving people room to have excuse or um, be able to explain certain things away. He really wanted to talk about intimacy and how it shows up in our lives. But he does mention the quote many of us have heard before, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference, it's apathy. I've often heard if if, if there is hate, there's still passion still arguing there's still something that you're fighting for or about but when somebody's indifferent when they're apathetic when they say they don't care or whatever whatever right we've all heard that I, I i i chuckle some i used to work in residence life and i used to hear that a lot from my teenagers and my students in their early 20s whatever <laughs> he talks about in this book that love is a choice it's a verb And I would argue that working towards these different seven levels of intimacy that he talks about is also a choice. It's also a verb. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes patience. It takes forgiveness. It takes vulnerability. It takes authenticity and being genuine, being open, being honest, building trust. I think we're going to talk a lot about those things. So let's get to these seven levels. I'm going to give you all seven, and then we're going to move through each of the seven. The seven levels of intimacy include one cliches, two, facts, three, opinions, four, hopes, and dreams, five, feelings, six, faults, fears, and failures, and seven, legitimate needs. So as I said, we're going to go through each of those. It's a journey, right? These levels are really intertwined. It's not a linear process necessarily. We move in and out of them all the time, daily. You may have built... A truly intimate relationship with someone, and something they do tends you to feel a certain way, or you have certain feelings, your feelings are hurt by something that happened. And so it may make some of those levels of intimacy go to the surface, rise to the surface, rather than create a deeper relationship. But it's a journey from shallow to deep, from desires to needs, from judgment to acceptance, from fear to courage, from a sense of a false self to a true self, from loneliness to companionship, from isolation to unity. These are powerful, powerful words. I would guess a lot of people would yearn for relationships that are deep, focus on their needs, are accepting, where they get to show up as courageous and as their true self where they're seeking companionship and unity with other people in their lives and let's be clear though that not every relationship gets to more than a few of these levels not every relationship does and that you can't rush that process so going back to that list of people that you said that you're in relationship with Who would be the people that are your primary relationships? Define primary as you will. Maybe they're people that you interact with a lot. Maybe they're the people that you call in those listed scenarios that I mentioned earlier. Think of your primary relationships and those levels of intimacy as we continue to talk through them. So level one is about cliches. These are the casual social encounters. These are the folks that you say, hey, how are you? And it's a very safe way to be intimate. And again, like we talked about earlier, people are really afraid of judgment and criticism, so it's easier to say at the surface level like this cliché. Now, could any of your primary relationships live in a level of cliched intimacy sure perhaps you're arguing or somebody's had a bad day and someone comes home or calls the other person and the other person says hey how's your day and your answer because you're in a foul mood is fine you march through the house or you wait for the person to talk on the phone You know, that's a normal interaction in life probably for a lot of folks, but it certainly can destroy the overall depth and frequency of your intimacy if it's overused in those relationships that are the most important to you. In the cliched level of intimacy, there's really not a need for empathy. It's folks being polite You know, I'm causing me pause, I guess, at this point, because I think a lot right now about the violence happening in our country and in our world and the political situation that we're in right now. We did a show a few weeks ago about LGBTQ folks and policies and rules and all those things. There's so many parts about our world that allow and encourage people to show up uniquely and differently, potentially, than the people around them. And we've gotten really caught in these two extremes around accepting everyone as they are or judging everyone as they are. And it's so interesting because the people that I find the most judgmental are not at all appreciative when folks are judging them. So perhaps even getting to this level one of intimacy, this place where people are polite and folks are civil and kind and acknowledging, gosh, for some of us, that would be a revelation, that would be success. Instead of putting our blinders on or putting our heads down or looking at the ground when we walk places, picking our heads up, saying hello, holding a door, smiling at someone, I wonder how different the world would be if we all did that, even if nothing else. Matthew Kelly, the author, argues that the way to get beyond cliches is a phrase that he calls carefree timelessness. This is time that folks can spend together without an agenda. I thought right away about my work in residence halls or about um, summer camp experiences, um, youth church groups and... Bible studies and these different things that bring people together where they really get to know one another. They're living together. They're sharing a common experience. Their time doesn't seem to be limited. They don't need to be in a hurry. It's part of why the author argues that teenagers fall in love so quickly or perceive that they do, is they have an awful lot of time to spend together without a lot of responsibility. It's why other adult relationships can grow to be more intimate because if they take vacations or weekends away or have scheduled routine date nights that they don't cancel, all those experiences provide an opportunity for carefree timelessness. It's a gift that you give yourself and those that you care about to build intimacy. And, again, I would argue this doesn't have to be a love-romantic relationship. That It can absolutely be friendships, even work relationships. Level two of intimacy, then, is the facts. So sharing the facts of your day, your life. This might happen at networking meetings, summer parties, where people say, where do you work? Are you married? Do you have kids? Where have you been on vacation? What's a great book you've read recently. What kind of music do you listen to? This takes it beyond that basic politeness, beyond cliches, but it's still not all that vulnerable place to be in. We're just sharing the facts about our lives. But what's really neat about this level is that it has the potential to ignite our love of learning. We get to learn about other people and other things, and we get to be excited about what that other person is talking about because of their passion and excitement for it. He talks about within, within the level two of intimacy facts, there being lower level facts and higher level facts. And so lower level facts might be talking about the weather or the current events or what your job title is or how many children you have. But the higher level facts are potentially the why's. Or talking about some of those facts at a deeper level. So why did you choose the career that you chose or the level of education you pursued or how many children you had? Talking about a book that you've read in more depth than just saying, here was a great book I read. It was really simple and it was powerful and it helped my business or it helped my personal novel that I read on the beach. But talking about why you loved it, that helps build connection. So in moving through level two, we move from the lower level facts to the higher level facts. And then even within higher level facts, moving from impersonal higher level facts to more personal higher level facts. You know what's really cool about all this is we do all this, like, subconsciously, right? We do all this without thinking a lot about where we are in any of these levels, obviously. But I do believe that people are thinking about how much they want to share and how well they know this person they're sharing with. And what is that situation that, you know, would you share this certain piece of information with somebody on the subway? Would you share it in a doctor's office? Would you share it at a summer party with the person who invited you, significant other or best friend? Would you share it with a work colleague? I do believe we're having those conversations in our head all the time. Is this a safe place, literally, figuratively, emotionally to share this information, to share a part of ourselves? Level three, intimacy is opinions. So prior to level three, a lot of the level one and two are relatively impersonal and generally non controversial. It's hard for someone to argue that the sky isn't blue or that you're not a counselor, right? I mean, those are the facts. That's not really all that controversial. But when you move to level three, the opinions, opinions can cause controversy, right? And it can cause an awful lot of trouble in those relationships. For me, it's a litmus test of sorts, right? Again, think about those three things that everybody's told to never discuss at a dinner party. Politics, religion, and money. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that we're taught to never talk about politics, religion, or money at a dinner party because it's controversial? Here we are finding great quote-unquote reasons or excuses to not build intimacy with the people around us to protect ourselves it's just so so interesting to me and what's what's also interesting is as the the author gives an example and gosh how many times has this happened to you that you're sitting at a dinner party with your family or you're at some other get-together and the opinions start being shared around something controversial And inevitably, somebody steps in to, quote, unquote, rescue the situation, right, to surface the discussion. They tell a joke. They change the topic. They offer food or drink. Somebody, when things get heated or intense or real or controversial or somehow intimate, someone else will step in and surface that conversation. Here's the thing, though. It's one thing for someone to surface that conversation in the midst of a group. But what we don't realize is we can end up by the ways that we interact, the reactions we have, the things we don't share, to surface an entire relationship and not allow it to go to the deep places we might yearn for it to go. And you know, sometimes we agree to disagree. But even then, if we agree to disagree, you have to find ways to say, we have different perspectives. And it's not my job to change your perspective. It's not your job to change my perspective. Every opinion says something about who we are. It reveals our core values, our expectations, our beliefs. In this, level of intimacy, level three opinions, acceptance is the key, not understanding. He has two excellent quotes here I wanted to share with you. He says, in general, that lots of people end up to say, I don't understand you, therefore I don't accept you and I don't love you. Now, clearly, most people are not going to say this, but that's what's happening in their head. I don't understand you. So I don't accept you, and I don't love you. Maybe I don't understand you, I don't accept you, I can't love you. That is so interesting to me. I'm so curious about that. So... Kelly argues that the goal of this level is accept others for who and where they are and recognize that their opinions are a product of their own unique experience of life. Don't we all have things that have happened to us, a unique experience of our lives that have created who we are, where we are, what we think, how we feel, how we show up in the world? And and those two quotes reminded me of a couple things. A show I did a few weeks ago with my friend Jennifer Miracle-Best around the LGBTQ community and the bathroom laws changing and all that stuff, right? It's really easy for most of us to be able in our heads to say, I don't understand you. I don't accept you. I don't love you. And keep those folks at arm's length. Rather than saying, I may not understand you, but I accept you as a human in the world. That's the first thing it reminds me of. The other thing it reminds me of, right, is the golden rule or the platinum rule, right? The golden rule taught us from early on, treat other people the way you'd want to be treated. The platinum rule goes a step farther and says treat other people the way they want to be treated. Because it's not for us to assume that other people want to be treated the way we want to be treated. So... Perhaps if we could get a world where people were polite as a step one, things would be dramatically different. Imagine if we could move to a a land, a world, a humanity where acceptance was a given, was a baseline, and that we understood that we didn't have to understand someone in order to accept them. Holy cow, like that's mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing. You don't have to understand me to accept me. You can accept me and potentially even love me for who I am and how I show up in the world, even though it might be different from you. So interesting. Level four, then. Here we go. Now we're getting deep. Level four is hopes and dreams. So dreams reveal our hopes, our fears, our fantasies, our deepest desires. They show someone's values, hopes for the future and their passions. The goal in level four is knowing, knowing your hopes and dreams in all the facets of your life and sharing them with people who you have high-level relationships with. Hmm. He talks about creating a dream book for yourself as a couple, as a parent or a child. Perhaps there's a dream book for an office department, for a group of friends, for even you and your best friend, where together you're constructing or you as an individual are constructing your dreams for your physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, professional, financial, and adventurous lives. Let me go through that list again. What are your dreams in the different parts of your life, such as your physical life, your emotional life? your intellectual life, your spiritual life, your professional life, your financial life, and your adventurous life. What are your dreams for yourself? What are your dreams for the relationship, a relationship, your family, as a couple, as a parent and child? Reminds me of vision boards, right? I'm guessing that some people are thinking, oh, it's like a vision board. That's That's how I imagine it as well. But being really intentional to think about what your dreams are and your hopes are for each of those areas of your life. So then in order to have level four intimacy with someone, you have to know their hopes and dreams, and they need to know yours. Another goal for this level, another way to achieve this level, is that you have to be willing to set aside your instant gratification to build a future together. Hmm. So if as a couple, if as a family, we have a financial goal to save, perhaps we're saving money for a family vacation or we're saving money to have six months of bills be able to be paid in the event of emergency or a tragedy. Then I need to be willing to set aside my wish to buy shoes and handbags and books (laughs) in order to save money for the vacation, for the rainy day fund, for the emergency fund, to pay the bills. And so one of the ways that I prove to my family or my partner or myself, whoever whoever I'm trying to have this level of intimacy with, that we have a common goal and that I'm willing to work towards it. Okay, now we're getting into the really good stuff. Level five, six, and seven. Let me do a little bit of housekeeping here, just a little bit of housekeeping. If you want to call in and talk to me, You can call in at 646 716 9397. 646 716 9397. If you're loving this show, write a note to yourself. If you're driving, keep a note on your phone, do something so that you can share this information with the people that you love, the people you want to create intimate relationships on your Facebook page. It's good information powerful stuff. I'm going to be thinking about this for a long time. It's so exciting. So all of my primary relationships, all of my important relationships, the folks who are close with me, prepare yourself because this is what I'll be talking about for a while probably. Okay, so back to the levels of intimacy. We work through cliches, facts, opinions, hopes, and dreams. That leads us to level five, feelings. Ooh, ooh. I'm going to share a little bit of personal stuff here for just a second, but part of the feelings is about knowing your feelings and sharing your feelings is an integral part of intimacy. I don't know about you, but I didn't really grow up with a vocabulary of feeling words. It seems so basic. It seems so common, but I don't I don't have a vast vocabulary of of feeling words to the point that I've sort of gone out and found some, and in my last uh, job as an executive director of a domestic violence program and shelter, I ended up finding lots of different like lists and and uh, pictures and visual images of feeling words and how they're related or what they come from. So for example, I have a, a circle actually hanging in my office and so um as an example the the innermost part of the circle the feeling is joyful and as you move out from joyful then you get to excited sensuous energetic cheerful creative hopeful and then as you move out from there there's daring fascinating stimulating amused playful and optimistic wow I mean, it's like 12 words that says joyful or some variety, some variation of joyful. I didn't have a vocabulary like that. I wasn't good at being able to hone in on exactly what I was feeling. And lots of times in counseling sessions throughout the years, I would say, well, it's not exactly this thing, but it's not exactly this other thing either. And it really challenged me because I needed to be able to name it. I needed to be able to call it the right thing, to have a word that fits for how I thought I was feeling. And for me, I have to be able to name a situation and intellectualize what happened before I can truly feel it. And so even just naming it allowed me to feel it differently and more profoundly and, frankly, more intimately, now that we're talking about intimacy. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have that sort of vocabulary of feeling words, to go out and, and Google that. Also, Byron Katie has an emotions list, which is incredible. And if you know of any of Byron Katie's work... Um, it's really powerful around she and, and even Brooke Castillo, who I'm loving, um, from the Life Coach School, talk about how your thoughts create your feelings and that your feelings are a vibration in your body. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's a vibration in your body. So your thoughts, if you believe them, cause your feelings. And then your feelings can cause your action, behavior, reaction, etc. And so having that emotions list is really helpful to sort of name what you're feeling and to figure out what thought led you to that feeling. And then because you now understand the thoughts and the feelings, you can choose a different behavior as opposed to just being reactive or reactionary. Ooh, there's a show on that too, I'm sure. (laughs) But the feeling place is where we truly become fearful of rejection. The goal to get through to work through to deepen your intimacy, your level five intimacy for feelings, is a willingness to be vulnerable and an ability and a choice to be vulnerable, right? Even that, it's one thing to be willing. It's another thing to do it, (laughs) to show up vulnerable with someone else. Kelly argues that intimacy is a prerequisite for all of those who wish to lead an abundant life. Whew. Intimacy is a prerequisite for everyone, for all those people who wish to lead an abundant life. So ways to deepen your relationships for level five is make time for conversations around emotions. Use your I statements when you're frustrated, right? I'm feeling blank when you blank. I feel really angry when you don't do what you say you're going to do. That's a big one for me, Choose a good time for those conversations, right? A time when you won't be distracted or disturbed. A time when you can really sit down together. And then my piece is just a reminder for all of us, right, that anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is easy. Anger can feel really good. It lets out a lot of steam. Anger is never first. So if you're really angry, you've got to figure out what that primary thing is. Is it that you're hurt? Is it that you're frustrated? Is it that you feel really raw and sensitive? Is it that you're really afraid? Anger is a secondary emotion. And sharing your feelings takes practice. Acceptance gives us the courage to make ourselves vulnerable by sharing our feelings. Listen. Don't problem solve. Right? Listen. Listen not to figure out what you're going to say next. Listen to what the person is actually saying and what they're not saying. Okay, we're in the home stretch. Getting deeper and deeper. Can you imagine? Are you thinking through that list of people that you have that are close to you and where they are, where your relationship is in these different levels of intimacy? Be thinking about that. Go back through that list when we're done with this show and figure out where you are and where you want to be with any of those relationships and, and these levels of intimacy. Level six then is faults, fears, and failures. This is where we're truly exposing ourselves and we're tending to the wounds of the past. One, we share our faults. We truly believe that the other person that we're in relationship with has our best interest at heart and that they're trying to help us become the best version of ourselves. So we're able to share our faults. Two, fears. Finding a way to say, I am afraid, blank. I am afraid of, blank. I am afraid, blank, will happen. When is the last time you shared that with someone? What you're afraid of? It feels raw. It feels vulnerable, for sure. It's a scary place to go. I am afraid. And then three failures. The revelation of your failures to who you are, who you have been, what you're capable of, and how you have failed. And let's be really clear here, right? Living in a world where you're always showing up as a victim does not get you deep levels of level six intimacy. It doesn't help you deepen the relationship around level six intimacy if you're always showing up as a victim. Kelly has a really neat phrase here. He calls it a dynamic choice maker. So cool, right? We are always dynamic choice makers. We make choices with all these different perspectives and all this different information coming together. We are dynamic choice makers. We're not victims anymore. In this level, we own and admit the things we think, do, and say that are incongruent with the person most people think we are or who we want to be. Wow, we own and admit that the things we think, do, and say that are incongruent with the person that most people think that we are or that we want to be, that's exactly it, right? Maybe we show up at work really confident and really engaging and really on top of everything, but then we leave and we go home And we are afraid. Our relationship is failing. We're struggling to raise our children. Or we don't have the financial security we wish we had. And often, some of these things are also incongruent with our core beliefs, our core values, our philosophy of life. It shows our dark side. And we all have a dark side. We all have a path. I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason And so all that stuff that happened in the past Good, bad, or ugly Is a part of who I am today And so I don't have regrets about those things necessarily But there are things I could see now That I could have done differently But it's hard to share these things Because they prove to people that we're human They prove to people that we have a dark side They prove to people that we're showing up differently Than who we are on the inside, right? It reminds me of a phrase that a faculty member of mine told me once, so powerful. There's actually two of them they are related. I'll just tell you both so you can see which one resonates with you. But there was somebody in one of my graduate school programs I was really just struggling with, just struggled, she and I. And things felt really unfair. Life is unfair, right? And I just I was struggling, and I was talking to one of my professors about it. And my professor said, Nikki, you are comparing your outsides with her insides, or your insides with her outsides. It's like, Holy cow, holy cow, I had to sit with that a minute. You are comparing your insides with her outsides. So I was taking all the insecure little voices, all the frustration, all the worry, all the anxiety, all the nerves, all the fear, all the everything. And I was comparing that to the person she was showing up as externally. She could have had all that same dialogue running in her own head that I had. I'd have never known it, right? And plenty of people would have seen my exterior, the person I showed up as in class and public speaking and these different things and never known what was going on in my head and all those insecurities and those fears. So that's one way to look at it. You're comparing your insides to someone else's outsides. And somebody else said it like you're comparing – you're beginning to their middle. Yes. It's like a book, right? I'm just starting this book. You're four chapters in. There's nothing wrong with me just starting this book, and there's nothing wrong with somebody else being four chapters in. But comparison is the thief of joy. There's no point in comparing myself to them. I'm on my own journey. They're on their own journey. Right? So we all have a dark side we all have a past comparison is the thief of joy there's no reason to compare ourselves with other people the point is to figure out who we are and to find other people who are who are willing and able to show us who they are so that we can really truly show who we are and we can go on this journey together and we can help each other live our be our best selves the other thing the, the author notes here that i thought was important is that humor can be really good at this stage right but sarcasm is really destructive. And being sarcastic over and over when somebody's sharing their false fears and failures will, again, surface that level of intimacy and potentially prevent you all from getting there again. And forgiveness is key. Forgiveness of ourselves and what we've done. Forgiveness of one another. Being able to forgive the other person when they share with you parts of their past that you didn't know or um, that you might not quote-unquote approve of even though I would argue it's not for any of us to approve of anyone else. Then you go back to the prior level of intimacy and acceptance, even if you don't understand, right? And then this final level, level seven of legitimate needs, and and this is a much more, I think, challenging concept to, to understand. He talks about having legitimate needs in four areas, physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. And he doesn't go through those all, individually, which was really interesting, but talks at length about how we all have very legitimate needs in each of these areas and that similar to the prior level when we talked about potentially needing to be willing to give up instant gratification for long-term gain or or to achieve a goal in a long-term way, This is about sometimes giving up or waiting to have what you need in order for the other person to have what they need. So I think about um, a parent who will feed their child and not themselves because they don't have enough food or enough money. I worked in loss prevention, one of my old partners there told me a story about being a loss prevention officer at a grocery store. And a woman stole a like two dollar bottle of cough syrup. Kids, like great cough syrup. And when she got stopped, she was incredibly embarrassed and explained that she had no health care and could not afford to go to the doctor and that her child had been coughing for weeks and weeks, not sleeping, not improving. Health care was getting, the, the health of the child was getting worse. And although she was not a thief and she had no other charges in her background, she'd never been in trouble, she felt like she had to steal that cough syrup to help her child feel better, to try to treat that symptom of the coughing for her young child, even though it was against her values, her core beliefs in the world. Hmm. You know, I think about the folks who, when there's an argument, maybe someone needs silence or solitude. They need more time to think about it. The other person wants to talk it all through right then. And so one of the pieces around this legitimate need is getting to know what that other person's legitimate needs are, physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually, and honoring that person in their need, while hopefully they honor you in yours. And how sometimes we show up differently in the world and and being able to find ways that we can each be who we are and get what we legitimately need from one another and from the world so that we can be our best selves and show up for one another. Level seven is a willingness to set your individual desires aside and give first priority to your legitimate needs and the legitimate needs of the ones you love so that in the long run there's mutual fulfillment between you so what do you think it's pretty deep right this is really good stuff and can you see how this ties to vulnerability and authenticity and being genuine and wholehearted living and boundaries and empathy and love and respect and admiration and communication and gosh i mean just all sorts of things all sorts of things so i am committing to doing deeper work around all of this and i want to hear from you if you want me to share more is this something you want to talk more about what do you think do you agree with the book do you disagree with the book what i'm saying do you have other levels of complication you want to add in there i'd really love to hear about it So, again, the seven levels of intimacy by Matthew Kelly, level one cliches, two facts, three opinions, four hopes and dreams, five feelings, six faults, fears and failures, and seven legitimate needs. What are those relationships in your life that deserve more of your time, energy, and attention? Which are the relationships that might be dying and you want to improve or might be dying and that's okay with you? What are the relationships that maybe you're just beginning or you would like to start? And knowing now this information around these different levels of intimacy will allow you to build that in a stronger way. So amazingly, I am out of time. We are out of time together. So I wanted to tell you my next show will be Thursday, July 21st at 10 a.m. Hope you'll join me there. Again, you can find me online groundedvisioncoaching.com, on Facebook at Grounded Vision, on Twitter at Grounded Vision. Or you can email me, Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, at groundedvisioncoaching.com. I hope you'll email me, share the show, search my name in iTunes, find the other shows I've done, share the shows. You can like Life Coach Radio Network on Facebook and hear from and learn about all of us as hosts. Maybe become a radio host yourself. That would be awesome. So I thank you for your time, your energy, your attention. I hope that you'll listen to this show repeatedly if you need to. I hope you'll be in touch with me. I really would love for this to be a conversation. And until we talk again, be kind to one another and yourself. Bye-bye.